Well, how did your homework go this week? Diane, did you practice your two, two ways to live? Because I know what you're gonna, I know that you're gonna give me an answer. <laughs> okay, good. That's, that's a good start. Excellent. Yeah, if, if you didn't practice it this week, that's okay. Try to make it happen this coming week. Um, if you need a review, read the tract again, listen to the recording from last week on the website, or um, in the email that Sandy sent, there is an actually um, a website link where you can, uh, you, they have like a little video sort of walkthrough type style thing, uh, it sort of, yeah. But it's, it can be helpful. There are also, if you just search two ways to live on YouTube, there are actual videos of people sharing it. Um, if you need handouts or copies of the tract, they're here on the counter. Um, so just I would just encourage you to, to practice practice that, be ready with, with that or with something. If you're not going to practice two ways to live, practice what, whatever your other method is. But, but have, it, have it in your back pocket ready to go. Um, and then how about our passage for this week? We just had two, two easy verses. Um, did, did anything stand out to you about those two verses? serving yeah yeah so last week we took our sort of step away from Romans so so let's review just briefly beginning of the beginning of Romans Paul showed us the righteousness of God versus the sin of all mankind and he showed us the implications of this truth for both Jews and Gentiles and then he shared, a mess, shared the gospel with a message of the grace of Jesus Christ and shared how this was necessary for both the Jews and the Gentiles to be saved. And then finally, in the last few chapters that we've been covering, he told us how God has been faithful in his promises for Israel. And so then chapter 12 begins a new section of the book. We move from theology and doctrine to a more practical guide to life as a Christian. Uh, this is pretty typical of Paul's writings. He will teach the reason and then teach the behavior. Uh, and, and so the, the idea is, is kind of this. It's this, if the glorious gospel is true, then here's how we should respond to it as believers. Um, Warren Wiersbe says, what we believe helps to determine how we behave. And this is part of our goal in studying the Bible that we are, the, the way that we are right now. We can't truly study any part of the Bible and walk away unchanged. We have to put what we learn into practice. But, but 
Paul's point in dealing with it this way is, is that studying doctrine is not just a mental exercise. It demands that you take action and you respond to the scripture that you are studying. And so Paul, in our final chapters of Romans, gets really practical. And so we get these first two verses of Romans 12 today. Um, and it'll, well, they, they get, um, and, and then it's sort of the um, uh, critical verses to the remainder of the book. Um, this, is, this is sort of the summary of what's to come. And so after the, you know, we're doing just two verses this week. And after these two verses, it's going to feel like we are racing through the rest of the book. Um, but finding how to apply these passages to your life as a Christian are going to be much more obvious, much more direct, because he's flat out telling you what to do. Um, uh, and, and because... Because we only have the two verses this week, we are going to sort of dig a little more into those particular words. Um, remember, if you're doing this at home or when you are doing this at home, blueletterbible.com or the app for Blue Letter Bible are very helpful in searching words. They have links for additional information. You can look at where else that word or phrase is used in the Bible. Um, it gives us a deeper understanding of what Paul really meant when he was writing. Now, I know that the first word in the ESV, which is what you have printed out, is not therefore. But it is in some of the, some of the translations, but therefore is there in the ESV as well. So we need to go through and we need to see what the therefore is there for before we get started. So Romans 12.1 has the fourth instance of the word therefore in the book of Romans. In 3.20, it was the therefore of condemnation. In 5.1, it was the therefore of justification. In 8.1, it was the therefore of assurance. And now 12.1 is the therefore of dedication. But if we're looking at it, we need to see where it, it's the cue for you to see where it came from, where we where we ended to get to where we're going. Um, so just as a refresher, we're going to read Romans 1136. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. So since all things were created for the glory of God, we should live our lives for his glory as well. And the idea of those first 11 chapters of Romans are all about being justified by grace through faith. And so it's that gratitude for the grace we've been given. And that's the, that's our, that's the only sufficient motivation for anything that we do. And so we need to keep that motivation in the back of our minds. That's the therefore that we are, that we are going to be depending on as we look at, at Roman, the, well, really the rest of Romans, but for today, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12. 
So let's read Romans 12, verse 1. So this appeal to you, uh, the King James Version says, beseech you. The New Living is plead. The NIV and New American Standard is urge. This word means to call alongside for help. It is used for every kind of calling to a person meant to produce a particular effect. It's serious and authoritative, and so it's an urgent calling. And that calling was to present your body. And, and that presenting, presenting means to place or to yield once and for all. It, it has a definite commitment. But why do you think Paul would... Or, or, that Paul would want us to present our bodies as a sacrifice. If you give your body, you're giving everything. There's nothing left. Yeah. Let's read 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. So the body of a Christian is God's temple. Before Christ was part of our lives, our whole bodies were used for sinful pleasures and purposes. But now they are to be used for God's glory. Warren Wearsby says, Just as Jesus Christ had to take on himself a body in order to accomplish God's will on earth, so we must yield our bodies to Christ that he might continue God's work through us. So we have to yield our bodies for the Holy Spirit to use in God's work. Now, to the, to the Roman readers at this time, remember this was written to the Romans, the Roman church, the body was negative and, and it was a bad thing. Spirituality was only involving the mind and the soul. But Paul is saying he doesn't just want a purely inward, a purely abstract worship. He wants that inward, but also an outward and practical um, sacrifice. It's not just spiritual, it's our whole selves, not the leftovers. But then he says he wants to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, when we think about living sacrifices, Paul is using what's known as temple terminology here, um, because that's, that's the offering of sacrifices. To the Jews, there were two types of offering. First, there was the sin offering. That was the sh shedding of blood, seeking forgiveness of sins. But as Paul has already talked about, Jesus is our sin offering. 
And so that's not the type of offering that he's talking about here. We've, we've already had that dealt with for us. So that second type of offering is the whole burnt offering. This was when someone would take a valuable animal, animal and completely burn it. This showed that, that all you had was at God's disposal. It represents a complete consecration and devotion to God. And so this type, this second one, this whole burnt offering is the type that conveys the feeling that we should have. And so, so when it's asking us as a living sacrifice, it's asking us to be, to be fully at God's disposal. Uh, Timothy Keller says it means actively to be willing to obey God in anything he says in any area of life and passively to be willing to thank God for anything he sins in, er in any area of life. But in the Old Testament, all the sacrifices were dead, right? But here Paul is calling for living sacrifices. And so there are two living sacrifices in the Bible. The obvious one would be Jesus, right? He was sacrificed, but is alive. And the second one is found in Genesis 22. This is the story of Abraham and the command of God to, to sacrifice Isaac. Um, we're going to read part of that with Genesis 22 verses 9 through 14. Uh, Genesis 22, 9 through 14. And so it, Abraham took Isaac, and earlier in the passage, Isaac asks, where's the, where's the lamb? We have the, the wood, we have the fire, where's the lamb? And Abraham says, the Lord will provide the lamb. Um, but, but then we see in, in the part that we read that the, it says Abraham put him on the altar. I'm going to tell you, Abraham was 100 years old at this point in time, 100 plus years old at this point in time. If Isaac had wanted to resist, he wouldn't have been laid on that, laid on that altar. And so Isaac willingly allowed himself to be placed on that altar he would have died in obedience to God's will. He died to himself in that moment. But when he climbed down from that altar and they found the ram, 
He became a living sacrifice and he brought glory to God. And this is the type of living, living sacrifice that Paul is telling us to be. He says that, that, that what, he, what Paul is saying is that God wants us to be obedient to him, to be, um, to be living in a way that is going to be sacrificially obedient to God by dying to ourself. And, and then it says it should be holy and acceptable, or some versions say pleasing to God. Holy is the quality of life that we should pursue, and pleasing is, is the results of that life. Um, read 1 Thessalonians 2, 4. We are no longer seeking to please ourselves. We are no longer seeking to please others, but pleasing God alone. And as we obey sacrificially, we please God. And we don't seek to please God for our benefit, but out of gratitude because we have already benefited from him. So we offer our whole bodies as a living sacrifice that is um, holy and pleasing to God. And then it says, as a spiritual act of worship. So that word translated as spiritual in the ESV, um, other versions call it true and proper. In the Greek, the word is logikos. Sounds a lot like our English word logic. And that's where our English word for logic comes from. So just like it sounds, that Greek word logikos means it's a logical and rational thing. So the sacrifice is, is not out of compulsion, not out of ritual. It's completely logical. It's completely intelligent. In light of all that God has done for us, this is what we should do for him. So when, when Paul is talking about this being a spiritual act of worship, he's not talking about singing. He's not talking about corporate assemblies. He's saying that this is your act of sacrificially yielding your whole body to God's will to bring glory to him alone. And so verse 1 is all about our bodies. And verse 2, we get to talking about our minds, or Paul gets to talking about our minds. And so uh, Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the good, what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The world wants to control your mind. So we've all heard about what is happening between Russia and Ukraine, right? Um, Russia has invaded Ukraine, 
Much of the rest of the world knows that Russia is wrong, but Russia is trying to control what is being shared inside of their borders. And so this article is from the New York Times on March 3rd, and I'm going to read you some, some portions of it. Now, this is blatant and extreme, but this is happening everywhere. Um, and so as President Vladimir Putin wages war against Ukraine, he is fighting a parallel battle on the home front, dismantling the last vestiges of a Russian free press. Uh, Dmitry Muratov, the journalist who shared the Nobel Peace Prize last year, said that his newspaper, Novaya Gazeta, which survived the murders of six of its journalists, could be on the verge of shutting down as well. Everything that's not propaganda is being eliminated, Mr. Muratov said. Precipitating the outlet's demise were plans by the Russian parliament to take up legislation on Friday that would make news considered fakes about Russia's war in Ukraine punishable by years-long prison terms. The Russian authorities have already made it clear that the very act of calling it a war, the Kremlin prefers the term special military operation, is considered disinformation. We're going to punish those who spread panic using fakes by up to 15 years, a senior lawmaker, Shulban Karaul, said on Thursday. During World War II, he said such people were shot on the spot. Um, Mr. Putin appeared unbowed by the crisis and the Western Fuhrer. He told President Emmanuel Narcon, I can never say his name, of France in a phone call that his aim of securing the demilitarization and neutral status of Ukraine would be achieved no matter what, according to the Kremlin. And then um, Thursday evening, in nationally televised remarks, Mr. Putin for the first time personally acknowledged Russian casualties in the fighting and praised Russian troops as heroes who were fighting fascists akin to Hitler's invading army. Uh, then we get to they start talking about a particular couple of instances. So Echo of Moscow is owned by Gazprom, the state energy giant, but has also off, but has often broadcast sharp critique, critiques of the Kremlin. Analysts believe the station survived thanks to Mr. Vin, Vinodiktov's, that's the like editor in chief his personal connections to the ruling elite, and Mr. Putin's desire to maintain a veneer of pluralism amid his creeping authoritarianism. For instance, it gave voice to supporters of the imprisoned opposition leader, Alexei Navalny, and covered the wave of protests he inspired across Russia early last year. During the war in Ukraine, Echo of Moscow has featured interviews with Ukrainian journalists who described the horrors of the Russia's invasion, a decision that appeared to cross a line. On Tuesday, the authorities took Echo of Moscow off the air for the first time since the Soviet coup attempt in 1991. And on Thursday, its board of directors decided to shut the station down entirely. We came under the steamroller of military censorship, Mr. Venediktov said. Uh, and, and then at Echo of Moscow's offices on Thursday, Mr. Venediktov said that in a regular country, Echo of Moscow would be considered banal. 
we've held on to old-fashioned traditional journalism where all points of view must be shared and where forbidden topics can be discussed, political or not, Mr. Venediktov said. But Echo of Moscow refused to stick to official themes of triumph and progress, instead digging into the problems and the culprits. Ukrainian experts and politicians were invited to speak on air. A sticking point has been what to call the war in Ukraine. They want to give the population the impression that this is a short, effective operation without a lot of victims, said Andrei Kol Kolskanov, a senior fellow at the Carnegie Moscow Center think tank. The regime gives a lot of attention to the words or to lack of words. And then it closes with, this isn't a question of media. This is about freedom of speech in the public sphere. You can't speak for or against something. That's a crime. And that's a quote from the Mr. Venediktov, the, the editor-in-chief of the Echo of Moscow station. Vladimir Putin wants the Russian people to know only what he wants them to know. He wants to have control over what they take in so he can have control over what they think and feel about the invasion. But this doesn't just happen in Russia. Television commercials are used to convince us that one product is better than another. Statistics are slanted in one direction or another to prove a point for one side. The world wants us to go to one extreme or another instead of finding middle ground. But Paul doesn't want us to fit into the mold created by the world. And so what Paul is pointing out is that there is a battle between the world and the will of God. And so when it says, do not be conformed to this world, conformed is focused on the external appearance. It's kind of what you have to look like. It, you, have, you have to look like you fit in. Uh, it's part of the reason that social media is so popular, yet also so dangerous. It's a mask we all wear to show only our best, and sometimes not even our best, but what we think we should be thinking, feeling, or doing. But Paul tells us not to be conformed to the world. And he gives us the alternative of being transformed. Um, Tony Merida says Christians think differently about life because we have a different worldview than those in our age, in our age being in our world. Um, Roman thinking was very different than Christian thinking. And so we have to keep that in mind, who the original audience was, as we, as we also think about this for ourselves. But that word transformed, but be transformed, is, is the same word that is used in Matthew 17, 2 as transfigure. So let's read Matthew 17, 1 through 3. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. <clears throat> there he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, 
and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then, there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. So I forgot to write down what the Greek word actually is, but the word, that Greek word is the source of our English word metamorphosis. And so when you think about metamorphosis, my first thought is the caterpillar into a butterfly, right? Because that's what you were always taught in school when that was the, your vocabulary word. It was a caterpillar into a butterfly is a complete change. It's, so that's, that's what Paul is telling us to change our appearance because of the inner changes that are taking place in our mind. Because he says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So it, it's that we, our whole bodies, our whole, all of us should be changed because of the changes that are taking place in our mind. Uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18 And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So that transformation that comes by renewing the renewal of our mind is because of the Holy Spirit. The world tries to change us from the outside and the Holy Spirit brings change from the inside. And Paul doesn't explain here exactly what, um, what he means by re renewing our mind, but he does elsewhere. So um, we're going to look at Colossians 3.16. and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving thankfulness in your hearts to God. And so, so that's telling us that, that it takes the word. But it's more than just reading the word. It was meditating on it, memorizing it, making use of it. What we're trying to do in this, in this study, through this study. So renewing our mind takes, takes the word. And then um, 1 Corinthians 2, 11 through 14. So Colossians was telling us it takes the word and 1 Corinthians is telling us we have to allow the Holy Spirit to work in us. We have to yield. We have to let go of our human desires and be led by the Spirit of God so that we can live out the word that we've been reading. 
Then, First uh, Corinthians two, eleven through fourteen. And then it says, um, it gives us the the why we need to be transformed, and that's to prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Our mind controls our body, but the will is what controls our mind. And we have to yield our will to God so that his power takes over and and. Not that it crushes our willpower, but that it takes the lead in our willpower. And so now we know what we must do, but it's the how do we go about doing it. And Warren Wiersbe tells us it takes three things to be able to uh, be transformed and to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. It ta- we have to surrender our body to the Lord. We have to spend time in the word. And in spending that time in the word, we have to let God transform our mind and prepare our thinking each day. And then we have to pray. And as we're praying, it's that we have to yield the plans of our day to God each and every day. And then as Warren Wiersbe says, as we spend time in prayer, we surrender our will to God and pray with the Lord Not my will, but thy will be done. So we're going to sort of dig into some of this a little more in your small groups. Um, Next week we will finish, or not next week, next week is spring break. So you have two weeks because it's a big section. And you've got through from uh, Romans 12.3 through Romans 13.14. It feels like a lot, but it's really, it's really like three or four ideas. But again, remember it's, this is Paul getting a little more practical. And so it's going to be a little bit more straightforward. Um, 